It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Retirement property has a reputation for being a ripoff, but several large operators claim to have reinvented the model. Our money mentor, Lindsay Cook, is here with more. Is your mobile phone a drain on your finances? Brits are estimated to spend a whopping £235 million per year more than they need to on mobile phone bills. But from this week, you could save money with a single text. Guy Anker from Money Saving Expert is here to tell us how. And finally, anyone for tennis. You might be watching Wimbledon covertly in the office, but James Max, our Rich People's Problems columnist, has been busy saving his local lawn tennis club and joins me in the studio for a slanging match. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you all of this week's money news. The financial model for retirement living is being reinvented. The sector has faced a litany of problems, including extortionate service charges, high prices and onerous clauses like exit fees. But now a new wave of developments are coming onto the market funded by big institutions, incorporating modern technology with an emphasis on health and wellness. Joining me with more is our money mentor, Lindsay Cook. Welcome to the podcast. Morning. So why does retirement property have such a bad reputation? Well, I've been writing about it for more than 30 years. I started when I got a lot of readers' complaints all those years ago about service charges doubling in a couple of years, about hefty exit fees, about poor maintenance, and about how the sale price, once the old person, retired person, left the property, the sale price was often a lot lower than the person had paid for it. And of course, it's usually the children who are selling the properties and they're angry on behalf of mum or dad. They're not always concerned about themselves. Developers are conscious of the problems like this that have been associated with the sector over the years, but they appear to be making real efforts to do things differently in these new schemes. I think all the bad publicity and the bad reputation has finally weighed on them and newcomers into the market. The Elderly Accommodation Council produced a report a few years ago showing that properties bought between 2005 and 2007 and sold five to seven years later lost 25% of their value. And yes, we had the economic crisis, but that was more than most properties were falling. And the industry didn't like that being publicised, and some of them have had to sort it out. Now you have companies that will bring properties up to showroom standard. So if grandma moves out of a property, 
the internal sales team and the company will get it up to showroom standards so it can be sold on. The sales team are incentivized to sell second-hand homes as much as they are to sell new ones. But I think the biggest motivator is that old people have money, or some of them do, and it's seen as a multi-billion pound market. And so if it's done well and the properties are excellent, and I've been to visit some and they are properties I could live in. The other part of the retirement homes reinvention is how society's view of retirement has changed. Now, you're more likely to find a gym and modern technology in these new developments rather than a winged back armchair. And the gyms, the ones I've seen, and this is in a couple of developments, absolutely wonderful, real e-technology, it's programmed for each person, and they have these wonderful things called cardio walls. And they're a bit like a game of whack-a-mole, and you have to hit, the lights come on, and you have to hit that button and then hit another one. And you're having fun, and people compete. And afterwards they say, do you know, you've just done 12 squats and you think, I can't do squats, but it, it gets you to do things that you, and, and the whole basis, and this is, these are the um, legal and general ones, but they monitor people, monitor their health, their blood pressure, etc. probably their weight, but they didn't tell me that, when you go in. And then every six months they monitor them again and they are planning, hoping that people will get healthier. They won't go downhill when they get into these places. And one of the things that I have to say gave me a wry smile when I read your article was the, the, the iPad installation in one of these newfangled developments. Well, every hallway has a tablet and yes, it's there and set up so they can contact the grandchildren, but residents are encouraged to tap in every morning when they get up and so control those they're alive. That sounds awfully <laughs> cynical to put it like that, but it means they know they're well. And for relatives and other people, if you've got somebody who's beginning to lose their faculties, mm. but perfectly capable of living in a community and with neighbours who say, come and come to the cinema because they've got cinemas on site or come and watch the bowling or whatever it is. Uh, if they um, they have systems so that you can tell if somebody's boiled their kettle, if they're sitting in the same place for too long, if they are doing, if they've used their kitchen, has the fridge been opened? It's those sort of things that you can monitor. And it sounds intrusive, but it means that children can say, oh, yeah, everything's okay. And it may be that somebody goes around and say, are you okay, Mrs. Smith? And she probably is okay. And I have heard from one of the manufacturers of these schemes that some old people sit solidly in a chair for a long time because they want attention. Oh, wow. Very interesting. But finally, the option of renting rather than buying a specially designed property is also proving very popular. It's a growing area. One firm, Girlings, has specialised in renting retirement properties for quite some time. But now you've got the likes of McCarthy and Stone, Pegasus Life, who are doing it as part of their options for new properties that are coming on the market. Legal and General are considering it and it's likely to be part of their portfolio. It means that you don't need to be super wealthy. Some people who haven't got children and one person I spoke to hadn't got children. They wanted to use all their assets up having holidays and enjoying themselves. So they now rent and, and that's good. And you can get modest properties and within benefit level price right through to two to five thousand pounds a month. And that, that's quite, and the rents include service charge, ground rent. So you know what you're paying. And that's the thing that 
from what I've heard from residents, people like that they like to know what their costs are going to be this year, next year. If the service charge goes up, it's not their interest. And also they can get a lifetime tenancy now. They don't have to be worrying that every six months they're going to have to move house. Well, thanks very much there to Lindsay Cook, the FT's money mentor columnist. You can read more in her cover feature, Reinventing the Retirement Home, which is available now on ft.com slash money. If you have ever tried to switch mobile phone provider, you will know how joyless and tediously bureaucratic the experience can be. If you're out of contract, as an estimated 15% of UK mobile phone users are, switching to a new provider or a SIM-only deal could save you £100 a year on average, according to research by USwitch. So what's holding you up? Joining me now in the studio is Guy Anker, Managing Editor of Money Saving Expert. Welcome, Guy. Thank you for having me. So tell us, what's happened this week that could make it easier for people to perform this switch? Yeah, I I think there's two key things to to call out. Firstly, um, in order to get a special code, a pack code, um, which you actually need to give to your new provider in order to keep your number, you can now actually get this with a single text you literally just text them. Um, you text PAC pack to six five zero seven five from doesn't matter what network you're on. It's a any free phone. text, any phone, and you should immediately or certainly within a minute or so. They're telling us you will get that code. You give that to a new provider, and then within one working day, your number has moved across the new network. And um, the reason this has been done is because um, the, the the researcher and the regulator Ofcom found that. A lot of people put off this process because you had to get a, a, the code anyway. And they were given the hard sell, please stay, we love you, etc., etc. You have a great deal on a new handset. Yeah. In, 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 interesting, it's actually, that can actually be a good way to haggle. I may have done that myself before. Um, but it, it does put some people off. So the, the, the text, in a way, anonymizes it in the sense that you don't have to speak to anyone. So they haven't, you know, fundamentally changed the entire switching process. You still go and get your, your, your new SIM. You still need the, the PAC code. I, I'm wrongly calling it PAC code because the C in PAC is code, but you know what I mean. It's um, what people call them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like a PIN number. Um, so you still need all that. It's the process of getting that is much easier. And secondly, probably a little less publicised, but equally as important, you can't now be double charged um, mm. if you are out of contract. So previously, even if you're out of contract, you still had to give, often give 30 days notice. They didn't always enforce the full 30 days, but you often found that there was a period where you were charged by both networks. If you're out of contract, you won't get that double charge now. Now, if you are still in contract and you want to switch, you'll have to pay, but, but rightfully, you know, you've, you've signed a contract. But this, the, the, those two key things, the, they're calling it text-to-switch. It's not quite as simple as text-to-switch, but this new tech system, plus the fact you can't be double-charged, I think lowers two of the key barriers to switching. It's not the silver bullet by any means, but as I said, it does lower that barrier, and I hope more people will switch. You, you, know, you, you rightly said at the top of this, lots and lots of people are on really expensive contracts. Prices have come down in the last couple of years. You can easily get a new SIM if you're happy with your handset for less than £10 a month if you, you, know, if you go for the best buys. There's lots of savings to be made by getting a better mobile deal. Well, thank you very much there, Guy Anker, Managing Editor of Money Saving Expert. You can read more about that story on the Money Saving Expert website, written by Guy, I believe. And we'll get you back on the podcast in future weeks to talk to us about other ways readers can save money, because we know that they like it a lot. Thank you very much.
We always love to hear what our listeners think about the FT Money Show. And I had a really good email over the weekend from FT Money reader Jan Shoonby about our item last week with James Pickford on how Mole Flanders, the 18th century novel written by Daniel Defoe, provided an unlikely guide to modern day card fraud. Anyway, Jan wrote in to say, Daniel Defoe was not as innocent in the South Sea scheme as portrayed in your most recent podcast. He did indeed write articles that were critical of the scheme around the time of the company's formation in 1711. However, he also contributed to the frenzy in the 1720s because Defoe was a paid pamphleteer and actively promoted the South Sea stock on behalf of the company's directors. He was also a spy for Robert Harley, the founder of the South Sea Company, and the South Sea Company had an active PR machine with the dual objectives of creating public excitement and influencing government policies. She goes on to say the historian Malcolm Balin describes this as a propaganda war unleashed by Harley and his pet pamphleteer Daniel Defoe in his book A Very English Deceit, The Secret History of the South Sea Bubble. Perhaps, Jan says, this is an early example of hashtag fake news. Well, thanks for sharing, Jan. Frankly, another book to add to my summer reading pile. But if you would like to give us any form of feedback on the Money Podcast, do get in touch, money at ft.com. Finally, are you guilty of furtively watching Wimbledon in the office? Tennis season is firmly upon us, and that was the subject of the latest Rich People's Problems column by James Max, who joins me now in the studio. Welcome, James. Thank you. So your problem this week was a rather different problem. How to save your local lawn tennis club from closure? Well, that's absolutely right, because I think sometimes we talk about very silly uh, issues that we may face, and they're the contentious ones about how you might spend your money or the sorts of things that people might ask you to do with it or the things you might want to do with your money. And in other uh, walks of life, as soon as you move away from uh, the things that you have to do with your money, people want you and they want your time and maybe your input. And uh, a lot of people will get involved in their local parish council or uh, some local business or some non for profit organisation or a charity that's close to their heart. And in this instance, the tennis club. So what happened was I I go to a place at the weekends uh, called Frinton-on-Sea. It's in North Essex, Harwich for the continent, Frinton for the intercontinent. And it's a marvellous seaside resort. Forgetting all the jokes aside, it's a great resort. It's Sandy Beach. It's uh, on the North Essex coast. Uh, It's a lovely place to be. The location of your beach hut, which you've written about in your Rich People's Problems column before. Indeed. And if you want to go and see Huttenberg, uh, go and have a look. It's it's resplendent, particularly with the weather moment. Lovely. Anyway, so Frinton has a golf club. It's got a cricket club and it's got a tennis club. I've been a member of the tennis club for, dare I say it, 40 years. And I don't even look that old. I know, it's amazing. And you can't play tennis either. Wow, she's really going at me. No, I can play tennis. I really enjoy tennis, uh, but I'm a social tennis player. I'll play once or twice a year. I'll I'll sort of go and look around the club and, you know, have a look at the thing. And it's a really beautiful place to be. We've got 16 grass courts, eight hard courts. It's a thatched ballroom. It's a beautiful place and a swimming pool and a gym and all this stuff. Great. The thing is, uh, I got a call from my mum last year and she said, James... I think you should stand for the uh, committee for the tennis club. And I said, look, I'm not there all the time. I do enough other things. I've got the charities and things and stuff I do and work and freelance and I wake up at stupid o'clock in the morning to do my radio show. I think you should stand. Then I received another couple of calls from various different people involved and they all said, I think you should stand. And I was thinking, there's something going on here. And to cut to the point of it, there was something going on there. There's a massive blue and black hole in the accounts. 
So, in essence, people were staring over the abyss and they were trying to work out how on earth do we save our beautiful tennis club? What can we do? How can we get some different people involved? Uh, most of us who put our hands up to get involved had not been involved before. We certainly didn't know that there was trouble. And normally the trouble at a tennis club is because there's insurrection. Uh, it's not that there's necessarily a, a sort of hole in, in the accounts, but there was a horrible hole in the accounts. And so that led to my first uh, instance uh, as soon as I was appointed as chairman, which is there was another chairman and then he decided he didn't want to do it and it was all, you know, relatively quick. You nobly stepped up. And I stepped up. <clears throat> anyway, next thing I know, club manager sends me an email. James, we've got to pay £15,000 for uh, the uh, erection of our winter bubble, which is going to go up. And we have to order it now if we want to get it up in time. And uh, there isn't enough money in the account. What are we going to do? So we had to have a very urgent cash raise. And the first thing I had to do was put some money in myself. Um, It wasn't what I was planning to do. But, you know, sometimes you've got to step up. And you then had to organise frankly, an enormous fundraising campaign going to people who've been associated with the club in the past. I mean, if you've seen the pictures of it in the article, it really is a beautiful place and has been associated with all kinds of dignitaries of the tennis world over the years. Yeah, over the years, some amazing people have played there, you know, ranging from celebrities like uh, Sir Cliff Richard uh, to uh, politicians like Winston Churchill uh, and indeed uh, the Prince of Wales himself back in the, in the in the dim and distant past. I mean, Frinton really was a place to go, certainly in the 1930s. It was the place to go, the social place. It was the, dare I say, sandbanks of uh, today. You know, it really was a, a venue. And the club itself, it's rather like looking at a really nice classic car which just sheens, but underneath there's an enormous amount that needs to be done. And in essence, we had to go on a fundraising campaign, as you say. Uh, We had to raise £60,000 in, and we did that in 60 days to stop the club going bust. And then we had to raise another £47,500 to do what I felt was important in terms of the next step of the strategy, which was not how do we just limp along and then make sure that we, we're still surviving next year. But how do we begin to fix the problems? And the problems ranging from the, the club was referred to under 11 different names. It didn't have any sort of cohesion. Nobody was bringing all its different offerings together. And nobody knew how to use the building properly. That The building itself, beautiful as it is, and in not bad condition, was actually or is actually creating some of the problems for the club because the only way you can generate extra revenue is by using the ballroom. The ballroom's lovely. You can sit 160 people in there. Uh, You can have perhaps a dance for 200 or so. Sprung floor, lovely. But you do that, then the members bar is taken over by those people at that event. So if it's a members event, that's great. If it's not a members event, all the members are turfed out the club. So, you know, you have these tensions between different uses. So we went to an architect, got them to help uh, redesign, come up with a plan that would work for us. And then also we had to do a branding exercise. We went trolling into the into the sort of distant past to go and find out what the club colours were. So we're beginning to fix it. But I guess, you know, this whole story was... This isn't about putting money in. This isn't about being rich and saying, oh, I can splash the cash on my local club. It's nothing to do with that. It's it's actually about what can you do with your time to help sort something out that really needs a lot of input and a lot of time without being a sort of paid position. Combined with sometimes you do have to lead the way and say, okay, you know, maybe I am going to put some money into this because I really believe in it and I want it to be there for future generations. It's been there for 120 years. It should be there for another 120. So sometimes you have to maybe dip your hand in your pocket. Usually at this stage in the podcast, we go through your reader comments 
on your column and read out um, the, the nastiest ones. Yes. Um, but this week, they're all worryingly complimentary. People are taking inspiration from your good works, it seems. It would appear so. My granny bear says, maybe you're not so bad. Oh. Uh, Peter Jenkins just said, well done. Adrian said, great article. Get off me, said, as a property expert, you should have redeveloped the entire site for housing and paid for the members to have a windfall after deducting your fee. <laughs> <laughs> And meanwhile... I wouldn't and, rule it out. Uh, I wouldn't rule it out. Meanwhile, finally, uh, Lady Luck did, did have to have a little dick and said, Frinton-on-Sea, so that's what you mean by rich people. Oh, well, you can always rely on the FTV just to come up with some bile. Well, thank you very much there to James Max. You can read his latest column, Anyone for Tennis, online now at ft.com slash money. And as I said, it contains some lovely pictures of the Frinton-on-Sea Lawn Tennis Club in all its glory. If you have a real or imaginary problem for James to address, email him direct, richpeoplesproblems at ft.com. And we'll see you on the podcast next month, I hope. Oh, I'm sure I'll be back. You're not too busy playing tennis. Well, that's all from the FT Money Show this week. If you want to get in touch with me, Claire Barrett, or our team of writers, or even to suggest a topic you'd like to hear us talk about, you can email us money at ft.com. To stay up to date with the latest money news, follow us on Twitter at FT Money or check out our new LinkedIn page. Search for Financial Times Your Money. We'll be back next week at the usual time. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.